Hello and welcome to the Tennis Menu's Daily French Open Show. I'm your host, Val Febo, and we're here for the TennisMenu.com. Come and get an annual subscription for just $99.90 US, which includes over 600 tennis-specific drills and resources to make you a better tennis coach. We've got a massive edition of the show today. Serena Williams is out with an Achilles injury, pulled out before her match against Fatana Peronkova in round two of Roland Garros. So uh, Peronkova goes through to round three, continues her stunning run of form. And also Victoria Azarenka, the US Open finalist, out. She's lost to Anna Karolina Schmidlova 6-2-6-2. So an amazing win there for Schmidlova. Uh, Zverev is through just in a five-setter. Nadal team and Vavrinka all go through with relative ease as well as the tournament builds up to its climax. Also, Nick Kyrgios involved in another Twitter feud. We'll tell you with who this, uh, who it is with this time. Pretty unbelievable from both parts. But joining me on the show, as usual, is Mark Sapoulos, the best high-performance coach in the business. Mark, how are you? Um, last night. Yeah, I'm going really well, Val. I was up at 3 a.m. this morning. It was more because of back pain than to watch the tennis. But um, I did get up and, uh, and yeah, saw some amazing stuff happening. And how was Sarah Arani? I mean, that, that was absolutely incredible what she did uh, on the court. And um, to, to yell the Italian profanity as she exited the court and seeing her opponent, Kiki Burton's, go off on a wheelchair, uh, uh, like... A la Hannibal Lecter, just let me tell you that much. It was very <laughs> Hannibal Lecter-like being wheeled off on that wheelchair. But yeah, amazing scenes last night at the French Open. Can't wait to go through it with you guys. Yeah, and that's another one that we're going to get into. Arani v. Burton's, what the hell was going on in that match? <laughs> uh, Joel Fritchie, we saw the, the uh, fighter jet break the sonic barrier last, or the sound barrier last night and making, is ex- making a loud explosion. And well, you're here, so it's giving us the excitement that we need to make one of those explosions as well. How are you? <laughs> Oh, my nudge, I don't know if he's It was uh, <laughs> some kind of night in the French Open. It really was. Um, yeah, but um, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good, boys. I, uh, like Mark said, I cannot wait to start talking about it all. Oh, very good. I, I was waiting for someone to come up with something like that, and you just oh, hit the nail on the head. Well done. I'm actually sweating. Absolutely incredible. Incredible. Oh, God. All right, Joel, you're done for the show now. That's it. Leave it a high mark and I will just finish this one off. The old, the old George Costanza. That's it for me. Oh, God. All right. Well, uh, I don't think we can top that. We might as well just finish up. It was a great day of tennis. Um, so we'll start with the men's side uh, last night. And uh, Dominic Team and Rafa Nadal were, two, were the two main men that got through. And look, Nadal destroyed Mackenzie McDonald 6 1, 6 love, 6 3, and Team over Jack Sock. Uh, Sock. That's a really tricky opponent. Only two and a half years ago was Sock in the top 10. So team getting through 6-1, 6-3, 7-6. So really good win for him. Needed that sort of extended hit out, I think, and got used to the conditions again. So massive win for him. Stan Vavrinka over Dominic Keffer in four sets. And, well, look, the sonic boom or the sonic barrier got broken in that match. And the footage of them both jumping out of fear was hilarious because it, it was quite loud. Um, and Alexander Zverev over Pierre-Uge Herbert. Uh, coming, well, was um, two sets to one down. It forced the fifth and Zverev ended up getting over the line. But we'll talk about, again, his second serve stats are terrible. Diego Schwartzman continuing his stunning reign or run of form as well um, over Lorenzo Giustino, 6-1, I love Benoit Pair, one of our favourites. He's gone. Federico Coria, younger brother of 2004 finals. Guillermo is through in four sets. Kane Ishikori, I find it ironic that the ATP tweeted 
about Nishikori having the best five-set record out of anybody, uh, any current active player on the ATP. And then last night, he lost the fifth set to Stefano Travaglia of... Uh, of Mosdin. <laughs> it had to happen last night. Um, and also Yannick Sinner through um, the Italians having a great tournament at the moment. Uh, Sebastian Corda, son of Petter Corda. We'll talk about that as well. And playing in uh, your father's footsteps, so following in your father's footsteps with that pressure. Former Grand Slam champion. Pedro Martinez through as well. Hugo Gaston getting through. Norbert Gombos continuing his run. He's still going. Lorenzo Sonego, Casper Brood, Marco Cecchinato. Four Italians through to the third round of the French Open so far. And Taylor Fritz all getting through. But we'll start with the Alexander Zverev match against Pierre-Uge-Herbert. 2-6-6-4-7-6-4-6-6-4. The double faults again, Mark. It's a worry. 10 aces, 11 double faults, and only winning 42% of his second serve points on the clay. That is a worry, especially when you're coming up against a resident clay quarter in Marco Cecchinato in round three, who has destroyed Alex Dimonor and beaten another clay quarter in one Ignacio Londero. Yeah, checking out who's in great form at the moment. And obviously, Zverev, he's getting the job done. So it's one of those things. That, uh, we spoke about this with our US Open show. If you can get the job done, it, it doesn't matter. If you're not getting the job done, that makes it a huge issue. But, you know, definitely that second serve is playing a bit of a role in, in players getting a little closer to him than, than he would like. Um, and players are stepping into it and really putting some pressure on. So, you know, Cecchinato is definitely going to do that. He's probably going to step in and take some time away from that second serve. And, uh, there's no doubt, you know, Zverev does feel the heat. You know, he feels the nerves. He feels the pressure. And, um, you know, he's got to start to get that second serve sorted. Otherwise, players are going to take it um, and, and run with it. And it's going to be a very interesting match this next one for Zverev. And I think it's a bit of a touch and go. I'm almost tipping a little bit of an upset here. I think Cecchinato might get over the line. Well, I do think Cecchinato is going to get over the line just because of the way he played Zverev at the Australian Open earlier this year. So they met in the opening round and um, uh, Cecchinato, so Zverev won it comfortably 6-4-7-6-6-3. But the problem was Cecchinato had chances to win both the first set and the second set. So I think, and that's on a hard court. So if you translate that all the way into the clay, which Cecchinato two years ago, he was a semi-finalist at Roland Garros and two of those sets against Dominic team were very close. So he obviously knows these courts well. He's adapted to the conditions, like you said, two days ago and yesterday. The qualifiers are doing very well. He's come through that process. He's actually, he's looking really, really solid. And who knows? He could be in for another big run, although quarters is probably as far as he's going to get because that's the quarter that Raf is in. But still, he's thereabouts. And Zverev is there for the taking, I think, because of the slower conditions. So it's going to make things very, very interesting indeed. But moving on, uh, Joel... We saw Rafa Nadal last night against Paul McKenzie McDonald. Yeah. I thought, how sorry did you feel for him last night? It was just 6 1, 6 love, 6 3. The first game looked so promising. Rafa's serving. McDonald gets up 15 30. That was the only time he led for the entire match because Nadal just steamrolled him after that. Yeah, I feel extremely sorry for him. Um, it was really just Rafa doing Rafa things on, on play, really, at Roland Garros. He just did what he had to do and just motored past poor old McKenzie McDonald. And, um, to add insult to injury for McKenzie, um, you know, it wasn't, it was no sort of attack or anything. It was more just a, I guess, a form of uh, pleasant mockery, if you like, uh, after the match. Uh, Burger King France came out on their Twitter account and tweeted at Rafael Nadal with a photo of the scoreline and said, are you still hungry? So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so all up, um, yeah, probably, uh, yeah, one of those matches that Mackenzie McDonald will probably just look back on and maybe have a, a bit of a laugh. It might be a sort of laugh or cry scenario, but um, 
you know, it was good to see him back on the on the Grand Slam circuit. Um, he's been there for for a little bit, but yeah, Rafa just did what he had to do, really. Yep, absolutely, absolute gold there from Burger King France. But did you see Bastien Fashan, who works uh, in social media at the Moritoglu Academy in France? He tweeted last night that um, Nadal has handed out 110 bagels at the French Open, Djokovic 97, and Federer <laughs> yep. 95. So that is, that is a lot of bagels at the French Open that <laughs> handed out. So what is that? That's 200. 290, so that's 302 bagels, if my maths is correct. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That anyway. Maybe you uh, should open a patisserie or something. Oh, they have to. They have to. That is absolutely ridiculous. The fact that that's, uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. Or 292. I don't know. I don't know. Let's let's not go with my. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, 302. 302. All right. No, we're good. We're good. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. And they, he said that they could open their own French Open bakery because of how many that they've taken. And look, I don't think that's going to be the last of Nadal's and maybe certainly not Djokovic's either. Who knows what if Federer will, will go to many French Opens after this year. But brilliant performance from Rafael Nadal. Dominic team looking really, really good against Jack Sock last night as well, Mark. And I'm not sure if you saw the match, but team just to win like that. And he's played Chilich, a former Grand Slam champion. And now Jack Sock, a Masters 1000 winner and a former top 10 player. To beat them both in straight sets after a grueling and taxing US Open. What does that do for confidence? And how does that help team going forward? Because it, it surely must be good signs from Dominic. Yeah, look, I think he's in, in great form. I think his confidence is sky high, regardless of beating these two players. I mean, beating Chilich is a huge effort, the way he beat him. I think Jack Sock, over the last few years, has really struggled. Um, you know, his, his forehand is at, at probably one of the worst on tour at the moment, and it's broken down several times. And, you know, his serve is great, but it's not following up with a plus-one shot. And, that, and that's definitely let him down over the last few years. He was... He was probably one of the biggest servers and, and obviously biggest one-two players in the game for a, for a year or two there and and made his run, but then obviously has, has slipped away. But Dominic Team, to his credit, has just been incredible. I mean, he the way he's playing his flawless tennis, it's almost like he's played the same surface from the US Open right the way through to now. He, he almost hasn't hasn't felt the change and he obviously loves the clay courts. He can penetrate the court, but he can defend really well as well. And that was what we spoke about at the start of the tournament in our first show was the player who can play great defense, but also then counter-attack and play on the offense is going to get through this tournament pretty far. And obviously to this stage, Nadal and team and Djokovic are the two players that defend amazingly well, um, but then counter-attack through the offense. And uh, we did say that defense wins matches and those three players are the best defensive players that are in this draw at the moment. So they're going to go a long way. Yeah, I definitely agree there 100%. And uh, Joel, uh, Stan Vavrinka, he looked, in pretty ominous form against Dominic Kepper, who's played some really good tennis, played extremely well in Rome, getting to the quarterfinals, and then uh, in Hamburg last week had a really solid outing as well. So, stand to get that through that one six three six two three six six one. I think that's a really solid performance from um, from the three time Slam champion, and setting up a possibility for him and team to face off in the fourth round. So that would be extremely exciting if that was to come about. How do you separate the two? Yeah, well, firstly, might need a towel watching that match, but um, I think Dominic probably, I think Dominic probably wins that. I think he's probably in the better form, riding a real, a real sort of high. Um, obviously, we know what Stan can do on on clay, and he's he's showing us that again. Um, but really, I mean, um, you know, we talk of the the aesthetics of watching that match. I mean, the the, the battle of the backhands 
really. Um, and this is something that I've always been really fascinated by because when I personally go on to the, you know, play, and play the Magoos on Tuesday night, I've got a two-handed backhand and, you know, some some guys have a, have a one-handed backhand and the guys that can execute that one-handed backhand from, you know, the bottom level right up to the, the upper echelons of the ATP or the WTA, whatever it is, it's, it's beautiful to watch. And um, yeah, so I guess, Mark, what, like, how does it come about really? And how do, how can people, um, I guess, work on that one hander when they've sort of grown up with, with a two hander, because I personally, I've been trying to work on my own one hander, um, but I'm very much in the, in the two hand camp and it's just so hard to get used to. It is. And it's interesting you bring up that point because I feel like, Obviously, there's probably about 80% of the, the men's top 100 have got a double-handed backhand. I think it's like 96% or 97% of the females have got a double-handed backhand. So the numbers are with the double-handed these days. Why? Because the game is so much faster and the two-hander can absorb so much more than the one-hander. Um, and you've got less things that can go wrong with the two. You can counter-punch, etc. The one-hander for me is one that can generate more ball speed. Why? Because there's no second hand to stop the rotation happening. So with a single hand backhand, you can actually rotate approximately about 10 degrees more in terms of your take back, which allows you to get more elastic energy. So you're building up more energy in your system, gaining more momentum with your racket because there's a longer swing path for it to follow, therefore generating more ball speed. So when you watch these guys on the clay, it's, it's poetry in motion because they get time to be able to load up and literally go it. And, and that's what I love watching the one-handers for is, is they just have, when they've got time, it's just a beautiful thing to watch. The only thing with that one-hander, defensively, it can get caught out. Obviously, they slice a lot more than the two-handed backhand players because they're a bit stronger through that. Um, but they generally get caught out on the higher ball up here, and that's where the two-handers generally expose them. And talking about the two-handers, we spoke about Nadal before, and when he does play a team or he plays a Wawrinka down the track, the, the ball height, I mean, you spoke about it earlier in, in, um, in your intro, He's hitting the, the, the backhand on average 142 centimetres above net height. And to yeah. give that into context, Mackenzie McDonald was only playing at 59 centimetres above net height. So, so what Nadal does is he puts the ball higher above the hitting strike zone and against the single-handers, that may expose them a little bit um, and talking team and Vavrinka down the track. So, yeah, it's pros and cons, obviously, for both. I mean, the ideal scenario, you have a two-handed return, um, two-handed defensive ball, but then when you, when you load up, you load up with one. So that would be my ideal player if you could pick, um, pick that. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's pros and cons for both. And uh, definitely, it's a, it's a beautiful shot to watch when it's in full flight. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and so, say if you had to teach one, would you be teaching the two? I think now these days, I generally lean towards the two. Um, there's two reasons why. Generally, as a young player, it's very hard to teach a one-handed backhand. So they all start with two. Um, and you want them to have some confidence and obviously some success doing it early on in their, in their tennis playing career so they can get some confidence playing. So you keep them with the two. But then as you go along, obviously, it's very hard to change that because the two-handed backhand is actually dominated by the, the opposite side of the body, not by the dominant side. So you're training the opposite side to take control. And then all of a sudden you want to flip that and then gain control with your dominant side. So it is quite challenging to do. And obviously, you know, it takes a very, very skilled coach to be able to do that. So if you're out there trying at the start of your career, um, you know, make sure you've got the right coach in with you and make sure you've got the right advice because, you know, you can very, very easily get caught doing one that you don't want to do and, and be stuck with it. Well, just leave your number on a graphic here so for you and, and get the lessons for that one-handed back. And I remember when I used to start playing, and this was when I was little, 
Um, I I had the game Smash Court Tennis Pro Tournament Two on um, on PlayStation Two, and my character had a one-handed backhand, so I always used to just try the one-hander and was not great at it. But yeah, where I went to have lessons, they taught me to play with the two, and I always regret that. So yeah, fingers crossed. The I might need you to coach me, Mark, and we. Well. Can- Happy to do it post uh, post French Open. We'll get on the court, Val. And I'm glad you, you talked about growing up. You had a PlayStation because growing up, I had an Atari. And back then, the Atari <laughs> really didn't have the uh, the graphics for me to get really into tennis. So um, we've grown up in different eras, Val. And it's very interesting hearing that you had a PlayStation. Um, and, you know, I had a little old Atari that had stick figures. So well done, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Mark. <laughs> um, but moving on, uh, Sebastian Corda last night, a great story. He's fir- uh, he won his first Grand Slam match at the French Open in the first round and then continued that and moved on into the second. Took down John Isner last night, 6'4", 6'4", 2'6", 6'4", replicating his father's footsteps. Um, Petacorda obviously won the Australian Open in 1998. How much pressure, Mark, is it to follow in your father's footsteps, a guy that's won a Grand Slam, and come out and have all that expectation on you, especially with both of his sisters being such good golfers, and one of them is a women's major champion um, in Nelly Quarter. So it's um, it's obviously it's it's very difficult to to follow in those footsteps and then um, and then maintain maintain form. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one, Val. You you bring up because I've never felt in tennis that the father son or the father daughter or mother daughter kind of thing was much pressure. I thought it was actually more of a, a help you know, having someone that had walked in that position before them um, to give them advice on how to handle certain situations. And being an individual sport, it's obviously a little bit easier that way to obviously be able to do that and, um, and give you, your child some advice. Um, obviously, Peter was a fantastic player and, and Sebastian is definitely following a lot in, the, in those footsteps. He's, he's playing some really good tennis and, um, and looking the goods in terms of his, his long-term career. It looks like he's got a real game to... to to go further and um, obviously Peter Corder won an Australian Open in 98 I think it was Val you said and um, but also had a bit of a uh, bit of drama when in 98 he also was was found guilty of having a banned substance at Wimbledon and you know he had an up and down career he had some really you know really good wins but also some some really difficult times so it'd be very interesting to see how Sebastian does fare in the next few years. Yeah, 100% agree, and I think it's been. Um, I think it's a massive. I think it's a massive result for Sebastian Junior, Australian Open champion, 20 years after his dad uh, won the the main title. So absolutely fantastic um, for Sebastian to get through to a third round. Before we do get to the Nick Kyrgios stuff, we'll do that at the end of the show and uh, his Twitter feud overnight. We'll start with uh, the women's draw as well. Lena Svitolina getting through over Renata Zarazua. That's a, that is a fantastic name. Um, we need to get more Mexicans on the tour because they have some awesome names. Um, she won that 6-3, love 6-6-2. And Joey had some interesting stats on that second set. So we'll, we'll talk to you about that in a second. Sultana Peronkova, as I said, uh, a walkover win over Serena Williams, Williams out uh, with an Achilles injury. So again, that's the second time in three years she's had to pull out of the French Open before playing the designated match that she was supposed to. Amanda Anasimova straight sets win over Bernarda Perez, so she'll set up a clash with Simona Hallett last year's semifinals against the 2018 winner. Caroline Garcia continuing her good form, 7-6-6-2 uh, over Alexandra Sasnovich. Uh, Coco Goff out against Martina Trevisan of Italy, 4-6-6-2-7-5. Goff second serve again 
just proving to be too difficult. Uh, Anna, Anna Karolina Schmedlova over Victoria Azarenka, 6-2, 6-2. Absolutely massive win for her over the US Open Finals. She, uh, Anastasia Pavlachenkova gone over Katarina Siniakova. Vara Krejcikova also threw over Barbara Stritseva. Um, Daria Gavrilova gone Eugenie Bouchard into the third round of a major for the first time since the Australian Open in 2017. And Katarina Alexandrova over Astra Sharma. Maria Sakari also threw as is Igat Swiatek and Elise Mertens. But this one, Kiki Burtons over Sarah Arani. 7-6, 3-6, 9-7 in favour of the Dutch woman. So, Joel, I'll let you run through what exactly happened in this final set because there was a lot. Oh, yeah, well, so a brief sort of summary of what happened in this match. It was just pure craziness. So for starters, it went for three hours and 10 minutes, right? So it's a long, long women's match. Uh, three sets, but just a smattering of what happened. So there was a point in that match where Sarah Rani six times in a row attempted her ball toss on serve. Six times. I think I've never seen that before. Six times she had to do the ball toss and before she finally served. So there was that. She tried an underarm serve and missed it. Uh, so that's not really what you want when you're trying an underarm serve. Um, Kiki Burton's at the end um, was wheeled off the court in a wheelchair, which is just incredible. And there was a funny little moment with Dylan Alcott on Twitter who said, do you want to play some mixed doubles, Kiki? Which I thought was quite funny. But um, as Sarah Rani was, uh, was walking off the court, and this was after no racket tap either. So clearly there was a bit of bla- uh, bad blood for whatever reason uh, at the end of, uh, of that match. But Sarah Arani walks off the court and for any Italian speakers with kids in cars, please block your ears. This is your, your warning. She just at the top of her lungs goes, vaffanculo, walking off the court. And any Italian speaker will know what that means. And to be honest, a lot of English speakers will know what that means too. But it much. was just a crazy, crazy match. Really was. Uh, incredible. Show mark. Incredible. Like it was actually really interesting. It is interesting to watch um, the, the Twitter um, feeds because uh, Kiki Burton's apparently took 45 minutes to stop cramping after that match. Um, she wow. had treatment, she had massage, she had everything to try and get, get rid of the treatment. She had uh, to get rid of the cramp. She had cramped through her legs, cramped through her hands. She had cramped through her upper body. Um, she broke down in tears straight after that match. It was a very emotional match and it looked, it looked like it was huge. And that underarm serve you talk about came at 5-4 30-15 Irani serving and she's she's gone the underarm serve. Who does that? Like at that moment in time, like it's a huge point. What are you doing? Um, so yeah, it's just incredible to watch that and everything that unfolded from it. I think it was very, very interesting and unsportsmanlike uh, from Irani when she left the court. No, no racket tap swearing, carrying on, and, and j- just very silly scenes. And if you haven't seen it, jump on Twitter and have a look. I think, uh, I think we might even post up the video just to, uh, to show people how, how uh, interesting it, it was. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. But that, that quarter opens up massively now for, for someone to get through to a quarterfinal and play Simona Halep. I reckon Katerina, uh, Katerina Siniakova could even get through um, because Burton's would be so sore. But yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what happens in, in, uh, in that side of the draw there. But continuing on, Victoria Azarenka is gone. Unbelievably, um, unbelievable win uh, for Anna Karolina Schmidlova, 6-2. Um, was anybody expecting this? No, yeah. no, and yeah, yeah, was was not expecting Victoria Azarenka to play so poorly either, boys. I think the figure was eighteen winners, but thirty-eight unforced errors. So that's 
yeah, quite a lot. It's yeah, Val's face says it all. If you're watching on YouTube, you would have seen it, but if you're not, if you're listening on Spotify or or Apple Podcasts, but um, yeah, it's not really, good, listeners, you don't need to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but really, unexpectedly poor performance from from Vika after all that we've seen of her since the restart. But I mean, talking of quarters opening up, the bottom, or sorry, not the bottom quarter of the women's draw, but the second quarter of the women's draw has really, really uh, opened up a lot of. Big names here have fallen. Uh, Victoria Azarenka, Serena Williams, uh, Venus, uh, Putintseva. Um, it has opened up massively. Um, and you can really see someone like uh, Zvetana Poronkova potentially making a quarterfinal again, which would be a, a wonderful, wonderful story. Yeah, it would be. It'd be absolutely massive. And hopefully she does because she deserves it. She's had a wonderful, uh, wonderful... Uh, she's in a rich vein of form anyway. Um, so fingers crossed we can see her get there. Um, why is Mark laughing at me? I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just see him start laughing, but um, you won't be laughing in a sec. I'll, in one of those shows. On someone. <laughs> um, but no, Alina Svitolina only just getting through against Renata Zadazua as well. Joel, um, you mentioned some stats last night about the, uh, the difference between Svitolina in the first set and the second. Mm. Um, would you care to just enlighten us on what actually happened? Yeah, so I can only imagine that, that in that second set, uh, Alina's head just completely w- left the stadium, really, because she was pretty good in the first set. Don't think she was spectacular, but she was, you know, fairly solid. Um, but that, that second set, she was just nowhere. Um, both her serves, first and second serves, were going at below 40% win. Um, and only two winners, 16 unforced errors. So she really fell off a bit of a cliff. Um, in that second set, which was a, a huge concern, I think, for her going forward. She did recover in the third set to go on uh, and win that match, as she should have done. But, yeah, that, that second set will be a, a real worry for her, I think. Yeah, agree. And um, just quickly, uh, Serena Williams, before we do get to Nick Kyrgios, Mark, Serena Williams is out. Um, look, I said before the US Open, I don't think she can win this 24th slam. I'm still not convinced that she can, even though she did get to the semifinals. Um, do, do these injuries after one match or one match in these conditions, does that give you any indication of where she's at? Is time running out? Because I know she does want to have a second child. Yeah, you're right, Val. I mean, she's just turned 39 um, at the start of the French Open. And, you know, time is running out for her. I mean, whether or not, you know, she can do it. You obviously said she wants to have another child as well. She's, she's made that public that she, she wants to do that. You know, I give her the rest of this year and possibly next year. But I would say after that, I think she's time's running out for a second child as well. So, you know, you've got to look at that option from a family perspective as well and see what's most important to you. And I don't think she was ever going to win the French Open. We did state that at the start of our of our preview show. But, um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. If she has a chance, it's the US Open, it's Wimbledon or it's the Australian Open. And that's all she's got. I don't think she'll win another French Open. Agree. She might even do a Roger Federer and take the time off and maybe train on the grass next year and um, and possibly just put all her eggs into the Wimbledon basket so she might equal the 24th uh, Grand Slam there. But we'll move on to the Nick Curios Twitter furor last night. And this was directed... So he sent a tweet out at um, uh, Matt's Willander just saying... Matt, you probably, like, don't attack Andy Murray. After what he said pretty much about Andy Murray, saying that Murray shouldn't be taking the wild cards and, and, you know, should give it to the younger players because Willander did that during his career and he regrets it now. He's entitled to his opinion. I don't necessarily agree with what Willander has said because Andy Murray's Andy Murray. He can do whatever he likes. Um, you know, if he wants to take the wild card, take it. If you still feel as though you can be competitive, do it because he obviously is. He's beaten Zverev last month. 
Um, so Kyrgios just read what Wolanda said about Andy Murray. Shut up, Mats. No one cares. Muzz, uh, just know that however long you stay, we'll appreciate and enjoy your tennis and banter. Also, I've never watched a point of Mats Wolanda. Karen Kashinov then responded, Nick, come on, mate, it's too much. Show some respect. And they ended up getting into a bit of an argument on, tw- uh, on, the, on Twitter. And Kyrgios essentially said, it, it finished it off with saying, picture books don't count after Kashinov told him to read books and said, judging from how you constructed this sentence. So that was the end of it there. Um, look, I, I think it's a, there's a little bit of irony involved here in that Kyrgios is trying to hold people accountable for their behaviour in i.e. Novak Djokovic, Alexander Zverev, Borna Chorich. But then saying things like that, I think is a little bit ironic considering his his behaviour there isn't overly fantastic. Um, you know, he's entitled to his opinion, but to have a Twitter furor with, with another player and, and insult him like that, even though Kashinov himself isn't, isn't in the right either. I don't think he, what he said was right and uh, telling Kyrgios about playing video games all day. But um, a question for you, Mark. As a coach, if you're seeing your player is getting involved in a Twitter battle like that during a Grand Slam, what are you saying to them? Yeah, look, I mean, Kashinov obviously um, was probably protecting the the integrity of the game a little bit um, yeah. by coming back. And um, obviously, fair call, you're on, you're on social media and all the players are on it. They're doing stuff on it all the time. I think after the first one, once Nick bit back at him, I think you'd say, dude, stop. Okay, it's enough. You know, you don't need to be focusing your energy on that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like, they're, they're grown, man. They know how to how to respond. They should know how to respond. And it was quite an immature conversation as it went on. Um, you know, the starting point was Nick protecting Andy. Um, then Kashinov was protecting the integrity of the game and, and the legend of the game. And then it got into a bit of a stupid argument. Um, it, much, it did. It got personal and pretty much what you see between two young kids. And it just it didn't need to happen. And if you haven't seen it, if you're, if you're listening to this uh, show and you haven't seen it, go on Twitter and check it out and, and make an opinion for yourself. Because I think it's very interesting that, you know, Kyrgios was trying to do the right thing, trying. Um, and then it turned into something that probably wasn't wasn't super from, from anyone's part and I think it's uh you know if I was coaching Kashinov I'd say to him mate enough let's let's get ready for our next match yep agree and look Kashinov didn't like he just said show some respect then Nick made it a bit personal which probably it didn't need to happen and I think in this situation it's like okay guys just settle it down we're in the middle of a grand slam like this doesn't need to be going on and look in all in all seriousness Andy's got a PR team and Murray I think could Murray if Murray didn't want to comment doesn't have to comment. Nick Kyrgios doesn't need to go in and, and bat for him, even though he feels it's the right thing to do. And he's protecting a friend. So I can understand where he's coming from. I can understand where Kashinov's coming from. But uh, the way it got out of hand, I just I, I don't think it was needed. But uh, that's the bombshell that we'll end on today, guys. It's been a massive day of Roland Garros tonight. Um, we've got Yelena Ostapenko against Karolina Pliskova. That's very exciting. Sofia Kennan, Novak Djokovic, Stefano Tsitsipas, all in action. Denis Shapovalov, Gabinier Muguruza, Matteo Berrettini, um, Grigor Dimitrov, Elisa Cornet, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, he's in action mm-hmm. as well. Andrei Rublev, uh, Hashinov himself, himself in action against Yuri Vesely. So we've got a lot of great tennis. Roberto Batista Agu as well. So plenty to get through tonight. Some great matches. Mark Polman's first up on court nine against Christian Gary, and we can't wait to see that. Mark Sifoulis, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. 
Oh, well, it's been a pleasure and looking forward to another great night of tennis and hopefully uh, some more Vafankulos and some more uh, Sonic Booms uh, bring back the old Street Fighter. It'd be pretty cool. Looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to seeing you guys tomorrow. Thanks very much, Mark. And uh, yeah, M-rated language today. Fantastic. <laughs> it wasn't me. I'm right. I'm right. Um, Joel Frucci, thank you very much. Grazie, Mucci. Buonasera. I don't know what that means. I'm half Italian, don't know anything, but I know what that means. And have a good day to you too. But uh, Val Febo, Mark Sapoulos and Joel Frucci joining you on the Tennis Menu's daily French Open show. Remember, head to thetennismenu.com and get an annual subscription for just $99.90 US, which includes over 600 tennis-specific drills and resources to make you a better tennis coach. Plenty more to get through in Roland Garros. We'll catch you tomorrow.